because I think a lot of white people are really afraid of being called racist. And I think a lot of men are really afraid of being called sexist. We have to be very careful. And by we, I mean like everybody really have to be very careful about when we bring up something that is violent or problematic to people that we're not also in turn using something violent or problematic to name it or to bring it up. Mm. So it doesn't help anybody mm. to say, hey, friend, you're a racist. Mm -hmm. That's problematic. That's actually using the tools that we've been programmed with by the dominant culture to raise an issue with somebody. And it does not help maintain the curiosity for them to find how they're accountable to their behaviors. Culture Keepers, this is part two of a series with guest Suleiman Hyatt. Tune into episode number four to hear the first part. We start out by giving big love to the late, great feminist author, Bell Hooks. We continue our introspection around consent, about how to contribute in BIPOC communities by asking rather than inserting yourself as a white savior. We unpack the optics of a bicultural friendship and being sensitive around being a white person in black community spaces. And there's also a really funny story about a Burning Man hottie who totally fucked shit up on the dance floor, but not in a good way. So keep in touch with Suleiman Hyatt on his Instagram, which is at Suleiman Hyatt and his Facebook under the same name, Suleiman Hyatt. And while you're listening in on this conversation, jump onto youareculturekeeper.com so you can connect with our amazing global community. We are just growing, so we would love your input on how we can create magic together. We have incredible events, workshops, and parties in the works so that you can meet with like-minded folks to connect and support each other's dream projects. We will also have ways for you to contribute to the team so that we can keep supporting humanity to raise their energy and evolve with each episode. Let's dive in with the transformative justice and violence prevention activist, Suleiman Hyatt. In the circling back to the consent, how many of us, for example, like how many of us are trying to hold consent? Like what, like what does it mean to be like in right relationship with all the things around us? What, what does it mean to hold consent mm. with all the things around us? Like when we enter into the forest to go on like a hiking trail, yeah. how many of us take the time to be like, hey, I'm going to ask consent before I enter into the forest? How many of us take the time to ask consent to be like, hey, I'm on stolen land? Yeah. You know, coming from the Bay Area, this is the Ohlone and Huchen land riders. Like how many, how many of us like, you know, are already aware that there's a break in the consensual process around that? How many of us actually take the time to be like the food that I'm eating? You know, was there a consensual process, a relationship, you know, that was taking place? And it's the big questions around that. It's, it's how are we turning this into a praxis? Like how are we turning this into like a studied, um, grounded practice within our lives? Because really, to have consent with the with the, the world and the land around us, like it's not possible to then you know be in a space of like having a climate catastrophe. Those two things are completely misaligned. 
having and like engaging in like a process of consent around us, you know, means taking like a deep dive and removing and interrogating how we show up with violence in our relationships in all the ways, emotional, verbal, and physical. Because I mean, you know, literally nobody consents to having violence done to them. So it's like, <laughs> um, so it's like, why do we do it? You know, why do we engage that way? Those things are just non-compatible. And so, you know, how are, we tr- how are we taking these conversations that are happening at that kind of macro level and having it show up in our like everyday practices? And I had a really good friend of mine who was a professor at San Francisco State. Her name is Simi, and she currently teaches at uh, UCLA right now. But she said, like, revolution isn't some sort of cataclysm that happens overnight. We're not in some new world all of a sudden revolutionary things or revolution takes place within the everyday interactions that we have with each other. We choose to either bring freedom and liberation into all the things that we do, all the practices, all the engagements that we have, or we choose to bring unfreedom and unliberation into the things that we do. And for me personally, like looking, you know, looking at that, God knows it is hard to make those like discernments. And that requires a deep dive, a deep interrogation of just like how we're showing up. And how we're showing up with ourselves, you know, um, we talked about appeasement at the beginning. It's like, is that something that's dictating our life currently right now? Where it's like, how well are we showing up even with ourselves? Where it's like, something feels uncomfortable. Am I vocalizing that? Mm. Am I expressing that? Mm. Um, something's pushing against my boundaries. How am I holding my boundaries? And, and I'm, I'm saying that to make the deeper connection as well to like extraction and exploitation don't happen when people have healthy relationships with themselves because of their boundary, no one desires to be exploited. No one desires to be extracted upon, but when our boundaries are completely distorted, we allow that to happen. And in some cases we even look forward to it happening, which is really twisty. Wow. But a lot of us do that. Um, Say more about that, please. Yeah, sure. If you want um, to. It shows up in the way where I was talking to a friend of mine and she was like, she was like, yeah, I used to think being catcalled was a good thing. Mm. Um, and so I would look forward to it. I'd be like, oh, hey, look, I look cute because, you know, somebody's calling me sexy or like, hey, da 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 Or like, I want to have sex with you tonight. And it's like, oh, hey, you think I'm cute? And, mm. you know, not actually realizing, no, actually, that's, that's a form of, of violence. When someone else is defining who you are, you know, saying you are beautiful or you are pretty or you're whatever. I know it sounds really weird to some of the folks and it's like, but what's wrong? I say all oh, the people are pretty too. Well, actually, that's actually really problematic. Mm. Um, just to take care of that loose end, switch that around and try this right there for folks who actually use that language where it's like, oh my God, you're so hot. Okay, that's violence. Let's actually move to something that's not violent. When I see you, I feel aroused. So no longer am I projecting onto someone else, which is also a consensual thing. No longer am I projecting onto someone else. No longer am I telling someone else's story. Mm-hmm. No longer am I creating a narrative and then putting it on top of them. Because mm-hmm. when I use language like that, you're hot. Then on the flip of the coin, do I also have the authority to say you're ugly? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, no one has granted me the privilege or the ability to determine who is hot and who is not, who is ugly and who is not. That's super problematic. That's mm. super violent. Um, to move it into a place of not being violent, of being in right relationship, of being in healthy relationship, let it come from that internal place. 
when I see you, maybe when I see you wearing that, I feel aroused. I feel stimulated. Mm -hmm. I feel motivated. Um, and then starting from a place of, may I share with you how I'm feeling right now? Oh, <laughs> so let's, was, let's actually I'm add that extra layer. Yeah. So glad you said that because I was like, in my heart, I was like, yeah, but what if I don't want to know that you're stimulated right now? Like, what if that's creepy to me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, yeah. what if I'm like, uh, that's on you, buddy, you know? <laughs> Serious. And that's, that's real. And so getting that, hitting that consent, you know, checkbox, first and foremost, may I share with you how I'm feeling, you know, right now when I see you. And saying that because that's, that's the healthier way to be in good relationship. That's the healthier way to be in healthy relationship and right relationship. I don't want to get too far off, like on, on the tangent. Um, yeah, let me, let me stop right there before I get, okay. I float too far off in the tangent land. Um, mind if I add a little piece to, please do. Um, yeah. I'm getting what you're saying because it's really, it's approval based, you know, this person is saying, oh, you're really hot. But what if they said, oh, you're really ugly. You know, it's like either way, it's approval based. It's like your worth is based on my approval of how mm -hmm. you look and how you present yourself in the world. And it's an assumption that how that woman looks is open to public comment. And I can just say every single woman has had that experience of having their looks commented on and they're you get tired of it it's like i don't give a shit if you think i'm fat or skinnier or if i've lost weight or if i've gained a few pounds or if these pants look good on me or if my booty turns you on it's like just fuck off and let me do my day <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so yeah I, I appreciate you saying that it's, 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 a, it's intense. It's a deeper level, but it's something to consider. And then I'm also thinking like, well, if I'm in my, if I'm in my relationship with my partner and, and they say, you look hot, I want to hear that. I don't want to hear the whole consensual part. Like to me, it's like, we're in relationship and this is just me in my relationship. I want to hear that. I want to hear you look hot or, you know, whatever. That's great because to me, it's like we've already established a rhythm with each other and we've already established um, modes of consent. Not every relationship is going to be that way. Some some couples are going to feel like, hey, I, I would rather have consent first. But, you know, to me, I'm like, say what you need to say, you know, if, if you're in relationship with me, you know. Like, I yeah, think that's, like, yeah, that's real with that as well. Yeah. Strangers right, coming up and being like, hey, you look hot. I'm like, okay, <laughs> who the hell are you? Yeah. And I think that, that that's kind of like most definitely speaking to that relationship part where it's like good consent comes from also being in relationship. And when relationship is not present, mm. it's, it's a little bit, it's harder and trickier to get to a place of like consent if they're, you know. So that's, that's really real. I think there's also something to be said in my opinion, like, of what does it mean to actually express what's you know happening inside of oneself um, versus versus just using a projection? And I know sometimes it's easy to use like shorthand, you know. So after, in in my opinion, after you kind of establish something, then it's like it's easier to kind of move towards like the shorthand, mm -hmm. you know, linguistics of how to express oneself. Yeah. Um, 
And sometimes relationships need to kind of go back to like, hey, let's get grounded again. <laughs> yeah. Um, revive here. Yeah. How many times have we been in long-term relationships? And it's like our partner says that exact same thing we've probably been hearing for a while where it's like, I love you or something. And I actually have issues with that language as well, but let's just mm. use that for right now. Ooh, that's like, we got to get back to that though. That's juicy. Yeah. It's like, I love you. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? And it's like, and you know, you could tell, you can totally tell it's like, a, that's like a seven year relationship. That's like hitting that toxic place or something where it's like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, no, nah, baby, I care with you. Uh, mm, and it's just like, oh, okay. So same thing could be said from the onset of the relationship to, to whenever, but all of a sudden the interpretation of that begins to shift. Yeah. And at those moments, there might be a really important invitation to like reground with like what's happening internally when someone mm-hmm. says that. So, you know, if somebody's like, oh, you're so hot. It's like, what are you saying by that? You know, like you said, that other woman I saw you yesterday with da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And like regrounding with like, hey, I'm actually feeling really comfortable seeing you like this, you know? I, and be, be damn specific about it. It's like, be precise. Mm. Um, it's like, I feel a tingly sensation all throughout my body when, you know, I'm seeing you like walk around in what you're wearing right now. Mm. And I think that's a great way, you know, to try to reground, you know, with, with, your, with your partner or partners. Yeah, and you know, there are people listening that are in long-term relationships. And I, I actually, I'm vibing a bit off what you're saying around, you know, how we say I love you too. I, I love hearing those words, especially in the beginning of a relationship. It's like, ooh, that feels good in my body and in my heart. Like it feels expanded. After a while, I want, show me. You know what I'm saying? Like, show me what that means. Like, sometimes it's really beautiful to not go with the shorthand of I love you. Sometimes it's really beautiful to go with, wow, they just brought me my favorite kind of flowers. I feel so loved. You know, I feel so. And what does that mean to feel loved? What does love mean? Like, because, you know, we have all these different love languages, right? Mm-hmm. That theory around love languages is really interesting. And I think there are more love languages than are presented in that book, too. Um, but, you know, for some people, it's feeling heard and communicated with. For other people, it's like, ooh, I got some really good quality time in with my partner where our phones were off. We went on a hike together or we just made an incredible dinner together and it was really delicious. Like, wow, they made my favorite meal, you know, or uh, acts of kindness and service, like, wow, they made lunch for me for my work day. How sweet is that? And they tucked a little note in there, like, oh, wow, they got my oil changed for me, you know, maybe I'm gonna change your oil. (laughs) Let me check your dipstick. I don't even know what I'm saying. Anyhow, I'm just trying to infuse a little fun and loving yeah. into this it's, conversation. It's a, that, that actually really tickles me because I'm, I'm, it's like changing oil. You get super dirty and it's like anything erotic. I'm just like, I'm not in that place. <laughs> it's like I have, I have like petrochemicals on my fingers. I need to get this stuff off of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't, who the hell ever thought of like, let's have sex in a garage where there's like, you know, this auto mechanic shop. And it's just like, no, that's not sexy. <laughs> I'm just like, who thinks that's sexy? Um, no comment. 
I'm just, it's just one of those, like, I was like, who thought of this? It's like, oh my God, you fixed my car. How will I ever pay you? And it's like, well, no one's in this garage right now. Maybe we can do something. And this is like, nah. Where the hell is that from? Come on. <laughs> um, I think that's like at least like 25% of like 90s porn right there. Um, where it's, yeah, it's, or like a plumber. It's like, no, you, you just. Plumber butts are not cool. And not even on the plumber butt. Like, okay, yeah, that is something right there. And if you're going to have your ass showing, maybe you might want to shave that or something. I don't know. But manscaping, friends. Get some manscaping going on. But you're working, if, if for anybody who's ever had to take apart like a P-trap or like work with like blocked oh. up toilets and things like that, that doesn't enter the land of sexy. No. It's like, it's dirty. It's Girl. sticky. It's like greasy. It's no. like. Uh, this is like body, whatever it is that went down this drain. I don't know what I'm touching. I'd be the plumber, but like, girl, I was going to turn you out, but you just shit sprayed and I'm turned off at this point. Like your toilet's a mess. Forget yeah. about it. I'm out of here. Yeah. It's like, let's, let's plan another, let's plan a different day where I'm Ugh. not actually plumbing. Um, yeah. And, and I've seen some plumbers actually get to work. They're just like, their hands in, they're just like, whatever. My, up to my elbow and this is like no <laughs> yeah hey, i i think it's like a whole other podcast around like this whole thing around like love and love languages and things like that i have a lot to say on that as well especially around like violence and how that interacts because it's like in a relationship it doesn't mean squat if it's like oh but i'm meeting your love language of getting you a gift and it's like after i weld on your face of course it's no laughing matter that's actually no laughing matter at all, though. But it's like it for me. I'm highlighting the problematic nature of how we use the word love, mm-hmm. and we just use that like whimsically, and it's used all over the place. And sadly enough, it's like it is used to express. We're trying to express something. This is kind of pulling from NVC right here, where it's like we make an attempt to express a need, but we're actually expressing a feeling. And that shows up really wonky, like where we could be doing something rather violent and we're using language of love. We're using actual like words like I love you. And it's like, no, but what you're doing is actually really problematic. And, you know, I guess to kind of complete that thought, um, pulling from Bell Hooks, the late Bell Hooks um, books, you know, book uh, all about love. I'm so glad you're referring to her. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I'm so grateful. That was in my notes here. I was like, let's talk about Bell Hooks. Hey, yeah, real. Yeah, we can't, we can't have this whole conversation without including bell hooks. Mm. That's, that's, you know, bringing her into the space. You know, in talking about that, you know, she writes in the book all about love. Mm-hmm. Where she's just like, we get that word mixed up all over the place. And I'm not quoting anything specific, but just kind of giving a general, like, you know, phrasing of the book. We get that mixed up all over the place. And we think we're actually hitting our need for love when we are engaging with someone and we think we were hitting that like oh my god this is a relationship or this is deep love and in actuality maybe something else that's going on that's not you know hitting those deep needs around what love is but rather you know maybe it's just like these are just some feel-good things that are happening right now um it doesn't mean there's this deep compatibility with this person um but we mistakenly think it's that we mistakenly think like oh this is 
this is that. So yeah, in, 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 in capping that, you know, we use that word frequently and all over the damn place. And I think there needs to be a serious reckoning with how that language is used. You know, even when my five-year-old says that to me, like, I love you, Dada. I'm like, I feel really good hearing that, but I don't know what you mean by that. Yeah. And I'd like for you to tell me what you mean by that when you, maybe when you get older. Yeah. And uh, he has the cutest response. So when I say that, Mm. (laughs) he goes, I was like, I was like, I was like, I feel really good. What do you mean by that? And he goes, Dada, you ask me this all the time. I mean bananas when I say that. And I'm like, what? (laughs) He's like, well, what do you mean by I feel really good? What does really good mean? What's that mean in your body, right? That's beautiful. I, I want, I actually, if you don't mind, I would love to give a quick example of what you're talking about with the love language thing. Yeah. Cause so I really appreciate you speaking to that because of like the first layer when I was introduced to that work, the love languages um, was of course, take the quiz online and see what my love languages are. Right. And for me, it's quality time, touch. And then third is communication. Like those are my, my top three. And uh, that was really interesting to find out. And then I was in a relationship with this guy who was, he ticked off all of those things for me. You know, the communication, not quite so much, but Turns out he was like a total Romeo guy and was with other people. Mm. And because my love languages were being met, I was able to shine that on for a little bit, not very long. But as soon as I realized, oh, he's just speaking, we just have the same love languages. So we're jiving right there it gave me the freedom to leave that relationship pretty quickly because I was like, Oh, we just have the same love languages. It doesn't mean we're compatible in our values. I had different values around uh, relationship at that time than he did. He was okay with seeing other people. I was not at that point. So another thing is my parents my, my dad and his wife, they have totally different love language than I do. I think that theirs is acts of service and gift giving. Like they both really meet each other's needs in that way. And it was really beautiful because I got to identify that his wife's main love language is gift giving And so one year I got her a really beautiful wreath for the holidays. It was like really expensive, beautiful wreath. And she was, she felt so loved by that expression. To me, it didn't mean as much because I'm more interested in quality time. Like that's what really ticks my checkbox, you know, but it was super helpful because I was able to, Um, connect with her in a way that I hadn't thought of before and so you know there's there's many sides to how that can be helpful information but I really love that you're speaking to the dark side of it which is hey this can be actually I don't want to say the dark side because I think darkness is beautiful but I want to say the flip side of that coin which is you know 
there's something that can be missing even if your love languages are ticked off. And by ticked off, I mean checked off the check mark. I don't mean pissed off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's super real. And that's and that's even that's even if we're even like applying like critique on like monogamy and what that means to be in a monogamous relationship. And if you're in a monogamous relationship, is it even possible to to have uh, those like you know that level of engagement? Uh, totally different podcast on that one right there too. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> um, Honestly, this is why I keep saying to you, Suleiman, you know what I'm going to say. You yes. know what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Right on. Mm. And it's something you might want to consider is having your own podcast because you have so much to share with the world, so much beauty, so many thought-provoking conversations that can be had. Mm, well, I, I deeply appreciate that. Thank you yeah. for, for sharing that with me. And um, and staying true to my language around how I express myself. Um, not only do I appreciate it, but hearing that really meets my need around being seen and validated. Mm. I feel good and I feel comfortable, you know, when I, when I hear you say that. Thank you. Yeah. So in the beginning of our conversation, I talked about, um, you know, our friendship. And I mentioned the elephant in the room, and that is that you're an African-American man. I am a white woman. There's a lot of conversations you and I have had around um, the optics of our friendship and going out dancing and things like that in the Bay Area. And in our friendship, I've often, you know, danced with you less in public spaces, even though we're friends, just because of the optics of being in the Oakland Bay Area in particular, uh, which is a really beautiful multiracial, multicultural environment. And there's just so much airtime that is given to uh, cis male female relationships where there's a white woman and a black man. And, you know, we've talked about the optics of this. And even though we're friends, it's just, uh, I have a sensitivity around perpetuating that stereotype and just being sensitive around being a white woman in black spaces. And you and I have had a lot of conversations around a lot of comic things that we've witnessed in the Bay Area and also a lot of things that we've witnessed that where the more sensitivity could be infused in the situation i'm thinking of spirit house that night with all the ciphers remember that mm. the hula hoop girl oh yeah there, okay thank you for reminding can me we tell that. this story yeah go for it <laughs> can we you tell me... it together um What's this yeah scene? okay so it's at a iconic dance party i won't i won't name the party or anything but it's like iconic dance party it's like a house dance party Sadly enough, you know, because of the pandemic, that location and that party is, has shifted and things like that. So giving thanks to the folks who started it. Yes. Um, iconic dance party, places packed, music is going, speaker systems are super tuned, mm -hmm. DJs are pushing solid music. And I love house music. And so it's like just soulful house music. Um, it's most definitely like a people of color vibe. The ratio in the crowd is like super right. Not like you get in San Francisco right now, where it's like you can go to a Prince Michael Jackson night, which is another crazy ass dance night that we had. Prince and Michael Jackson night, and you will have like 
two black people there and everybody else is white and some don't feel right about a Prince Michael Jackson night and there's only that two black people there. That was a sad night in San Francisco. That was a hard night. Back hard to night. Oakland, please. Yeah, back Let's to Oakland. to the correct side of the bay. Sorry, uh, yeah. San Francisco, but <laughs> Oakland's popping. So there was a person that came. She was a white woman that came through and, you know, everybody's dancing. Hella people are dancing and everything. Can I describe her, please? Go for it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> First off, I just want to say... I understand I'm a white woman and I understand that what I'm about to say is a little problematic because I really don't like female competition. I don't like competitive energy. I also don't like it when white people cut down another white person in order to seem more woke than they are. That being said, this shit was funny. Okay. So we're going to talk about her. (laughs) This woman comes in like fit. Okay, fit as fuck, right? She was looking good. She was fit. She had her little booty, though. I'm just saying. Uh, All booties are great. It's all good. But she had this skin-tight purple outfit that looked like it was painted on. That's all good. I love bodycon stuff. I'm just going to say it, okay? She comes in with this air of, I've arrived, in her Burning Man regalia. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, burner. Yep. Uh, You know, and I got lots of friends that are burners. I've been a big part of that community. I've never been, but I've been a big, huge part of that community. I know the vibe. But there are certain level of entitlement, especially in the white communities, in the burner community. And this woman was the epitome of that. And she comes in with her huge rainbow special super fancy hula hoop right mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is there's ciphers there's like three or four ciphers going on in a very small space yep and people are getting down there's no hula hoops there's no fucking fire there's no poi going on so she comes in and proceeds to she entered the cipher i think once or twice right with her hula hoop you guys yes some of you are listening being like i don't see the problem i'm sorry if you are in those arts more power to you but don't enter small spaces and expect people to move out of the way for your ass yeah please hula hooping at a fast speed in a small space it's just a recipe for like something 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 bad about to happen and what something happened? Bad about to happen what happened? something bad happened what happened She's like going like super speed on the hula hoops, right? Just going in on it. And like one of her hula hoops, I think she had one or two, and one of her hula hoops got loose and like just flung across the cipher with like incredible speed. And by by this time, I've already kind of moved away from her because I'm already thinking like, Something bad's gonna happen with that hula. I'm not so even making eye contact with this. Bitch I wasn't trying to I'm see. Like, I do not want to be associated with her. There's four white people in the room. I don't know this bitch. And I, I, I for for you it was the association. For me, I was just like, I don't want to see what's about to happen. I'm just gonna go over here, type of thing. Mm. Um, one of her hula hoops catch catches loose, and it's like the person. It didn't hit the wall. Didn't hit the ground. Didn't hit like a speaker. It hit this black dude right in the forehead. Just wow. Older man. An older, yeah. It was an elder too at that. Probably in his yeah. 50s. Yeah. Waiting. He was 
he was, I think he was a dancer and he was waiting to get back into the cypher and everything, yep. waiting his turn, you know, doing the whole following the culture of how a cypher works. And he gets popped in the face with a hula hoop, a rainbow color hula hoop. Does she apologize? Does she no. stop what she's doing? Nope. Like, oh my God, are you okay? Does she embarrassed? Is she embarrassed? Does she tuck her tail between her legs and move her little ass out of the cypher and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me get you some ice or something. No. No, that didn't happen. Hula hoops got put back on again and started swinging the hoops around again. It keeps going. You guys, it's embarrassing. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a, that was not cool. Dear white people, please check yourselves. Please, let's continue to check ourselves because it's fucking embarrassing. We're making it look bad for each other. Holy cow. Yeah, that was, that was all bad. It's like when it happened, you heard like everybody that whole like that. It's not a sigh, but it's that intake of breath, like, you know, anus clenched intake of breath, like, <gasps> <gasps> it was like a groan, like, oh, I, I heard the groan and I was like, I finally looked over because I was ignoring her. I went to a different cipher. I'm like, I'm not giving her more attention. Yeah. <sighs> Let's end on hey. a better note, but it was a funny story. <laughs> it was. And, and if, hey, the, for me, the way that plays into like, consent in relationship is like once again observation and relationship relationship to the space relationship to how the space operates and observation where it's like hey this isn't a hula hoop space no one does hula hoops in this space and you know so yeah understanding that and it's like i've been in that space multiple times at multiple parties yeah i see the same people and it's like you learn the culture before you actually like show up with like you know how you either want to try to contribute Mm-hmm. or add to the space learn what's going on observation mm-hmm. observation and relationship mm-hmm. it's like yeah yeah it's and again you use that word ex- extractive behavior a lot in this conversation and to me the reason why she was upsetting to me energetically right away i haven't been able to put into words all this time but in this moment i'm saying i could feel that she was coming into this space to extract attention for herself to extract energy to take an experience in but not engage in the space and engage with the community in a way that's connected yeah that's real on that when i hear you say that the thing i think about is when people put their needs in front of other people's needs yeah and how that's very much so in line with how we show up in this dominant culture under like a capitalist framework mm-hmm. where my need for security, oftentimes we will extract because we're trying to meet our needs. So for example, like my need for security means that I need to do X, Y, and Z at the expense of other people. Right. Um, my need for power may, you know, may put me in a position of like, I'm a boss and I'm going to exploit my workers so that I can, you know, amass wealth to help me, you know, satisfy my, my needs around housing or my needs around power or my needs around whatever. I am putting my needs in front of other people's needs at that moment. And so coming into a space where it's like, hey, I haven't checked in with anybody. I haven't learned the culture of the space, but I'm here to contribute. And it's like, we talk, I talk about this frequently with other organizers and organizing spaces with the difference of what solidarity looks like and the difference contrasting charity. 
charity versus solidarity yes. where it's like you can show up with the best of intentions and everything but what it, ultimately what's happening from the behavior is somebody's putting their needs in front of someone else's needs and they're not actively you know being in solidarity but rather actually showing up in a way that's extractive that extractiveness you know shows up in the way of like i'm getting my needs met um at the expense of your needs right like i have a need to show up as the white knight in mecha i did this in college in early college you guys I had a need to show up in Mecha to show that I was a woke white person that had grown up speaking Spanish. Mm. I didn't know you were involved with Mecha in college. Yeah. Yeah. And I I remember the community kind of grilled me and they were like, really wanted to know my involvement. They really wanted to know my, um, why I wanted to be part of it as a white woman. You know, and, mm. and I really respect that. And I really understood that I needed to ease in and I understood that I needed to sit back and listen. You know, at that time, I didn't have the realization that I needed to be like some kind of a savior in some way or a white savior in some way. I was already aware that I didn't want to ha- I didn't want to be like a missionary going in into another country and like bible thumping or something like that you know i i I was already aware of that form of white savior imperialism but and i i didn't want to be like that but i think it's important like in our evolution and our personal evolution that we check ourselves for things like that like I, i it was important to me to engage in that community for many reasons but i know for a fact one of them is that i wanted to Uh, feel good about myself you know I wanted I wanted to know that I was contributing in some way and I also wanted to appear like a good woke white liberal woman you know and like that's real talk and I did form friendships in that community and I did I was part of that community for a long time while I was in college but I think what you're saying is just really I really appreciate you speaking to that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you that bringing that behavior. up. Yeah, thank you for bringing that story up also. And, and yeah, that's real. It's like, I've come across other white folks who are like, I'm doing this work. And it's just like, are you doing this work out of solidarity? Because you understand that your future is, is intimately and intricately tied into the future of these people? Or are you doing this simply because you're meeting your, you're trying to appease some of the guilt that you might be feeling? Right. You know, you're simply meeting a need um, that you're having a hard time naming and it's showing up in this way. Mm -hmm. I met plenty of those people in my life as well, where it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, wait, why are you here exactly? Um, And that's hard because it requires like a deep introspection to be like, oh, why am I here? Am I simply here because I feel guilt or some version of guilt or whatever else? And I'm, I'm, you know, in this place um, and I want to move to a a place of feeling comfortable or something. And, uh, yeah, just like really adjusting strategy, really adjusting, you know, really adjusting the strategies of how we meet our needs and really like identifying what needs of ours we're trying to meet and then learning how to be in solidarity by identifying and learning about and empathizing with uh, other people's needs and where, where they're coming from, you know, taking the time to actually grow that relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, too, you know, even if you come in with that blind thinking it can still be helpful to come in to the group like i i because you learn you can learn as you go 
you know, just, just to mm -hmm. continue to be like, I don't want to deter people from doing social justice work or engaging in um, communities. I just want us to be aware, you know, when we're doing it and to, to continue to be growing and learning. Yeah, we, we learn and heal in, in community. And just to make sure we're also very clear to not, not with you and I, but also with the folks who are listening. Mm -hmm. um, yes to doing the work and learning along the way. I think that's a really important thing. And most importantly around that, not relying on the folks who don't share the same level of privilege to do that work on your behalf. And so that interrogation process, that learning process, that healing process may, you know, most definitely may be coming more from an internal place or you or a person, you know, like if I'm coming into like a, you know, predominantly like female identified space, I don't want to rely on other women to do the work for me. Right. Um, and so it's been very clear about that. That's not also being said with that. You know, I may have moments of being checked and that requires me to be like, I'm going to go do the work now. I'm going to find some other folks so I can do this work with. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thank, you. On that one. thank you for saying that. Cause it's like, we can say, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to check, I'm going to check myself on that, you know, cause like I'll, I'll speak from my perspective as a, as a white woman, I witness in white communities, sometimes um, people being called out for problematic behavior, white people being called out for problematic behavior. And folks, you got to understand that for, for you to be called out for your problematic behavior, there, it's very likely that a lot of fawning has happened for a long time before people have actually come to you and said, hey your behavior, you could use some checking, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've had friends come to me and said, hey, when you did this, it didn't work for me, like that my needs weren't getting met. And sure, it hurts sometimes, but it's also, I've always tried to have the response of, Thank you for telling me. Thank you for sharing that with me because I can tell you care enough about our relationship and our friendship and our connection to actually take the time to point this out to me because you mm -hmm. could have easily written me off. Yeah. You know, so I just want people to, because I think a lot of white people are really afraid of being called racist. And I think a lot of men are really afraid of being called sexist. So I really appreciate that you're, um, presenting that attitude of when somebody comes to you, you do the work. And I, I feel that way too. And I think that that's part of the glue of our friendship, you know, that we have that attitude. Yeah, I hear you on that. And, so, you know, in, in speaking about this segment of, of the conversation, I wanted to also be very clear because I do, you know, this work in anti-violence. Um, to be clear for the listeners and everything, because I, I know Deborah and I have talked about this already, but to be clear for the listeners, we have to be very careful. And by we, I mean like everybody really have to be very careful about when we bring up something that is violent or problematic to people that we're not also in turn using something violent or problematic to name it or to bring it up. Mm. So it doesn't help anybody mm. to say, hey, friend, you're a racist. Mm -hmm. That's problematic. That's actually using the tools that we've been programmed with by the dominant culture to raise an issue with somebody. It doesn't help to say to somebody, for example, like, you're a misogynist pig. That mm -hmm. does not actually 
does it does not maintain the curiosity of the person who may have employed violence uh, against someone. It does not help maintain the curiosity for them to find how they're accountable to their behaviors. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. So using shame to solve the problem is not gonna solve the problem, and everybody ends up suffering on that one. Yeah. Especially if the person responds with a defensive response, or especially if the person responds with like this yielding thing of like, "Oh my God, I am being racist. You're so right," and they have no idea what they're talking about. Because mm. if they did, they wouldn't have done the thing in the first place. <clears throat> mm. So because they don't know what you're talking about, and simply them saying like, "Oh my God, you're so right," nah, take a pause to be like, "No, actually, there's something problematic happening right now. You're yielding. Yeah. You're simply appeasing to me right now because you need to be accepted in this space. You're yielding for me." Right now, and that no one is going to win when that happens. And I've been in too many organizing spaces where everything falls apart because too many people did that. Yeah. And just to be very clear, a healthier way to engage someone when something violent does happen, um, and there are multiple ways of doing this or of addressing this, but one one way to do this at a base level is identify what the behavior is, and then you can attach your feeling to that behavior. Or you can even say like that, you know, to to cite how that behavior supports some oppressive thing. So, for example,、mm. hey Sammy, I noticed that when you didn't call on any of the women in the meeting when they were raising their hand and we were talking about this important issue, when you didn't call on anybody, you as the facilitator did not call on anybody. I noticed that.、Um, I feel uneasy and I feel uncomfortable about that.、Mm. And I'd like to tell you, you know. That that behavior is the key part. That behavior of not calling on women in the meeting actually supports misogyny and patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy.、Mm-hmm. I'm not calling Sammy a sexist. I'm not calling Sammy a misogynist or whatever else because、mm-hmm. that is problematic. I'm not. I'm not labeling Sammy as such. I'm simply identifying the behavior、mm-hmm. and saying the behavior supports this larger system of oppression. Mm. And I'm also expressing like I feel uncomfortable with that behavior, and so this allows Sammy to respond. Hopefully, you know this. This actually gives Sammy the room to respond and the ability to stay curious about what happened.、Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives the ability for other things that might be happening in the space. You know, we don't know if, for whatever reason, why Sammy may not have called on any of the women in the space.、Mm-hmm. You know, but we can at least identify that the behavior supports something problematic. Yeah. I don't know if that was said, super long-winded or whatever. No, it wasn't. It was really <laughs> perfect. So beautifully said, and I have examples too in terms of cultural、um, dis- distinctions.、Um, but I think that's a really great example, and I we can leave it there.、Um, I I'm so glad you brought this up though, because I wanted to kind of end the conversation on、um, when we come. To difficult conversations, or we don't have to say difficult conversations, but when we come to conversations where we level with each other like this and share, when there's a disconnect happening in the community,、um, I was I I was gonna say, you know, when we talk about these things from the red zone, then it. Can be really problematic, and you just said exactly what I wanted to say, but、um, just different terminology. So I love that. So you know, red zone is when we're coming from a place of extreme stress. Yellow zone is when we're coming from a place of mid grade, 
low level stress, kind of constant hum of stress in the green zone is when we're coming from a place of, of openness and groundedness and peace. And I really have been enjoying this model. Um, it's the feel good breakthrough work of Isabel Tierney. And it's given me a language to look at everything in my life through this lens of Am I engaging with people in my life from the green zone? Am I having conversations around social justice from the green zone so that we can stay open and curious, just as you're saying? Love it. Yeah. And I know that we've uh, been in conversation for a good amount of time here. Is there anything that you want to share about your work before we end today? Mm, No, not at the moment. I feel really good about the conversation we had. I feel like my work is actually another podcast <laughs> it really is it really is yeah you what you do is so incredible i just who you are in the world is incredible and your presence in the world and what you have to say and the years of fine tuning and continuing to fine tune how you connect with people in the world is so inspiring to me and so beautiful to me and I just feel really expanded knowing that you're out there in the world sharing your perspective and how you connect with people. Mm, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I really, I really appreciate that. I feel grounded. I feel full from our conversation. Um, yeah, nourished. Yeah. Wonderful. I really, that's how I really hope that these conversations will feel for, for our guests, guests in quote, because really we're both in conversation together equally here and I just really honor you and to circle back to the beginning of the conversation in our friendship I've learned so much and continuing to learn so much and when we communicate together it's like a meditation of mindfulness for me and it takes time to speak in a decolonized way and I just want to circle back and put closure on the beginning of the conversation where just full disclosure, you and I have talked about this, but full disclosure to our um, listeners, our culture keepers that are listening, that it took me a long time to trust our friendship. It took me a long time to trust that you really were walking the talk of decolonizing your thinking as a man. Um, I've had so many experiences in this life, and I know a lot of other people can attest to this in their lives. I've had so many experiences as a woman of a man presenting as a friend and presenting as somebody who wanted to sincerely connect with me as a human, not me as a sexual being. And at some point down the line, be it a few months or a few years, there's often been a switch where I realized all that time they were fawning or appeasing the friendship and really just wanted to get in my pants. And I just, there's nothing wrong with sexuality. Sexuality is a beautiful thing. But what I really appreciate about our friendship is that there's always been a coherency, a connection between what you say and who you are. And to me, that is such a gift. And I'm so, so grateful to you 
for upholding that level of integrity because it allows me to really open up as a friend and to really connect with you and also connect with myself in a deeper way, in a way where I don't feel like you're imposing yourself onto me ever. Mm. And that's an experience that a lot of women have where we feel like the men in our lives are imposing themselves into our spaces. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's real. I hear you with that. Thank you for for naming that as well. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate you naming that. Mm. To add on to the getting into the pants part and everything, I had a really good friend who, upon just meeting, uh, very much so into her like radical feminist like, politics and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I said something around like, "Oh my gosh, like you're the way you think," and da 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 around like your thoughts and like they're so amazing, you know. Um, you know, nothing, nothing around like any physical attributes or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And her response was like, you're just trying to get into, you're just trying to get into my head to extract my thoughts. And I'm just like, Ooh, I was like, <laughs> so when you're like, you just want to get in my pants. It's like, she was like, you just want to get in my head. Nope. Not happening. Wow. Um, she's like, you got to do your own work if you want to learn what I, what I, what I know. And I'm just like, Ooh, okay. That took me for, I was, I was much, I was younger. Mm had to learn some some lessons around that for sure but uh yeah now men extract from women and i most definitely live in a culture where it's like i not only am entitled to those systems but i have that privilege around that where where it makes it easy for me to extract from women and so like um you know until those systems are destroyed and dismantled it's like those are always present and i have to be vigilant uh, so i'm not replicating or promoting or supporting those things yeah and that's the work that I'm committed to as a European-American woman as well. And I, I really appreciate the conversations that we have around the commitment that it takes to decolonize our thinking. Yeah, that's hella real. Ooh.